American history question: Who told Harry S. Truman you're the president now? <laughs> you may be surprised. Okay. In an average game of pro football, how long is the ball actually in play? Answers to those and other questions coming up today on this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Welcome to the off ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, I'd like to start the show today with a history question. I've always heard a famous quote somebody said to Harry Truman when he was told, "You are president," but I didn't know the circumstances behind it. But it came out recently again in a book by Chris Wallace on the end of World War II. So tell me. You know, most presidents know their president after a hard-fought political campaign. How did Harry Truman find out he was suddenly president of the United States? Who told him? His wife? No, not his wife. Somebody else's wife was in his bedroom to tell him when he woke up. <laughs> what are you saying here, Bob? Let's hear it. Okay. Well, actually, believe it or not, it was Eleanor Roosevelt. Harry Truman was wrapping up a day in the Senate where he presided over it as the vice president when he got a phone call from Sam Rayburn, who is Speaker of the House, saying, "You got to go to the White House for an urgent meeting." So Harry Truman immediately took off in the car and headed for the White House. People there said, "Got to go to the second floor." He goes up to the second floor. He opens up the elevator door, and he was met by Eleanor Roosevelt wearing black. She said, "Harry, the president is dead." This is how he oh. learned oh. from the widow of the president. Nobody actually called him with the news. No Secret Service agent showed up. Nobody delivered a memo or telegram. Just go to the White House for a meeting. So he drove over there, assuming he's meeting with FDR. So she broke the news, and then the famous quote is: "He regained his composure. He said, 'Mrs. Roosevelt, is there anything I can do for you now?'" And she said. Harry, is there anything we can do for you?、Oh. You're the one in trouble. <laughs> You're the one in trouble. <laughs> yeah, isn't that fascinating? Well,、thanks. she said that, and guess who's here? The、uh, Supreme Court justice is here、oh, to swear, to you, swear in. you in.、Yeah. Oh Lord in heaven! And that、That's、comes from、uh, the、uh, Countdown 1945, the extraordinary story of the atomic bomb. But really, what a great thing for Eleanor to say. What can we do to help you? What can we do for you? Yeah, you're the one in trouble. <laughs> well, he was because the war was going on, yeah, and、uh, yeah, and、that's... and I think it was later that day or a day later he was told,、uh, need to tell you about this project that's been going on. <laughs> yeah, guess what? We got cooking.、Uh, we've got plants all over the country building、uh, things for this new weapon.、Uh, it's <laughs> called the Manhattan Project. We have an atomic bomb. We, you can learn about it later.、Uh, did he really? Not even the vice president knew about that no, back then. No, he was astounded. There was something that big going on with plants all over the country, and, and so、secret. few people knew about it. Well, I went to Los Alamos, and I was there where it all began. It was、oh, very、yeah. fascinating. They have、and、a museum they... there. They have a museum. Oh there God, there? yes. On the yeah, atomic and you、bomb? should see just driving into it. They still have all the watchtowers to see everybody that drives into that. Really?、Town. Yeah, it's fascinating. Wow. Didn't they build?、Uh, start building it under the Chicago Stadium? That's where they did some of the work. Yeah, yeah. and they split the atom there too. So. <laughs> Wow. Well, when we're not playing football, we're splitting the atom. That's right. And speaking of football, how's that for transition? There you go. <laughs> There's my transition. Perfect, Marsha. Thank you. Thank you.、Uh, so, Bob, in the average football game, how long is the football actually in play? I heard this 
statistic a long time ago. I don't know if I'll get it right. And this is an NFL game, right? Correct. Which Correct. could last what? The average game is three hours. So if okay. you're watching on TV. So I yeah. watch it for three hours. Okay, but first, how much time is a game actually going on during that three hours? One hour is devoted to commercials in a three-hour game. <laughs> One hour of the three hours is commercials. Yeah. Okay, but that doesn't mean two hours are the game. How long is the ball actually in play, Marcia? Yes, the answer is it's 11 minutes. 11 minutes of yeah. three hours? Yeah. Is all the more time the ball is being touched or is in the air? Yeah. <laughs> that makes me rethink a lot of things. <laughs> I'm still, I don't care. I still love Not it. as bad as golf, though. You'll walk around for hours oh. and you won't get, <laughs> and then wait till 12 people play through after you make your first mistake on that ball. Oh, geez, that's fascinating. All right, you always, always have some great questions on nature. So I have a question for you, and this is very interesting. What is the lumber of the giant sequoia used for? Now, we know that some people in the past have built trees and houses out of redwoods. Trees that are 2,000 years old, but that's against the law now. What is the lumber of the giant sequoia good for? Boats? No. I don't know. About the only thing it's good for is lead pencils. Oh, come on. No. That's <laughs> the, because the mighty sequoia? The mighty sequoia, because the tree is so brittle, when it falls, it often cracks into fragments. So other than the lead pencil application, the lumber of the sequoia is virtually worthless. That comes from Isaac Asimov's Book of Facts. Hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. So what simple device, Bob, which can be found in our kitchen, actually, okay. do we use that was in common use for the same use uh, way back in 3000 B.C.? The microwave oven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess that's not it. Something that's in common use in our kitchen yeah. that was used 3000 B.C. Yeah. Not an egg beater. Nope. Um, and it was used in exactly the same way. Is it a utensil then? Uh, I wouldn't call it that. I didn't know what to call it. It's a... It's a thing. A thing. <laughs> that, uh, something that, that has a function. Those uh, colanders so that you could drain things. Well, that makes with, sense. You know, something yeah. with holes in the bottom. Yeah, that makes sense, but it, that's not what I'm referring okay, to. Okay, what is it? Okay, it's the cork. The cork. The cork wine stopper, right? Yeah. And so back in the, when they were boozing it up back 3000 BC, they had wine jugs and they would put a cork in it to keep it dry so and it's safe. So it's specifically the wine cork. Yes, absolutely. Which is why you said, in our kitchen, since you like to drink wine. <laughs> but <laughs> that's been said, yes. <laughs> and uh, what's so interesting, it preserves the wine so good that they actually found some in Egyptian tombs that was still drinkable. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't really? know who tested it. I wouldn't have been the one, but uh, yeah. Wine still it, drinkable it, in Egyptian tombs. It, with a proper cork in it. So... In the uh, so this is interesting or not the sub bark of oak trees it comes from the sub bark not the top bark but the under bark of uh, oak trees that flourish in the Mediterranean. Oh really? Uh, and as a happy wine drinker, I'm happy to report <laughs> that cork is the cork is sustainable because the tree doesn't have to be chopped down or anything. You can partially strip the bark off of it and it grows back to serve another Cabernet another day. <laughs> another Cabernet another I, day. That was that was my little rhyme. Well, that was I put a long explanation. <laughs> as you would say of my questions, that was a long explanation. Well, I thought but it that, was interesting. It, it, 
it's yes, sustainable. It I didn't actually know. Where it's cork... a sustainable answer. It was a sustainable answer. It was. It makes up. I didn't know that's where cork came from either. I didn't either. Yeah. And I didn't know that the uh, they were using cork in wine jugs uh, 3,000 years ago. B.C. Well, 3,000 B.C., so that's 5,000 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> now, there's a technology that's been proven in action <laughs> and has a very good track record. <laughs> it surely does. Okay, I have a question for you. It probably uh-huh. seems a little arcane. How did the Industrial Revolution influence the note that orchestras tune to? You know, when you go to a concert... What is the note? C? It's A. Oh, it's A. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so orchestras, they all tune to a note. It's usually A. Okay. Almost always. But how did the Industrial Revolution influence that? I haven't a clue. Well... Uh, the Industrial Revolution, that's when machines began making goods and services. That led to a lot of standardization in all aspects of life. People said, well, we can do things with much more precision. Let's do that here, too. And one of those areas was, believe it or not, music. Part of that was because orchestras were showing up all over the world. People would travel from different orchestras to play, and we all wanted to be tuning to the same notes. So there was a series of international meetings to bring orchestras all over the world to the same warm-up pitch. And the ultimate winner was 440 hertz, or the note A. It's been the reference pitch or the approximate reference pitch for orchestras for 200 years now. And how did they come up with this? Tell me. A tuning fork survey. Oh, really? A survey? That was one of the first inputs. In 1859, a French government commission rounded up tuning forks (laughs) and discovered the pitch was about 445 hertz on average. So that was the first standard. And then over the years, as concert halls grew bigger... The commission lowered the standard to what is the compromise pitch. The International Standards Organization, there is an ISO standard that was adopted in 1955 for the orchestra warm-up pitch. And that's how the Industrial Revolution influenced the note that orchestras tuned to. Fascinating. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, it is kind of interesting. Well, the fascination is in the ear of the beholder. That's true. Yes. So what's your next question, smarty pants? Well, (laughs) what did Greek athletes slather themselves in before big competitions? Well, I didn't have Vaseline petroleum jelly then, so they didn't do that. This is in ancient times you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Was that something so they would run faster, they would lubricate their bodies a little bit? No. Okay, what? Olive oil. Why? <laughs> Few other substances have more sacred history than the olive and the oil it yields. For more than 6,000 years, olive oil has been used to cleanse, purify, anoint, and create divine connections. So not only did they put it on for, you know, divine connection to winning, they, what did they get uh, at the end if they won? Olive branches. Okay. <laughs> right? I mean, olive is the thing. And the fruit-bearing tree became a symbol of endurance, victory, and peace, which is why when someone tries to end a dispute, even today, they say extending an olive olive branch. branch. Yeah. Very interesting. Very good. That was very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Speaking of plants, why was plant specialist Luther Burbank? You remember Luther Burbank? He came up with all kinds of things. yeah. Yeah. He was once charged with blasphemy and denounced by churches. Why was plant specialist Luther Burbank charged with blasphemy and denounced by churches? Uh, Because he said uh, the sun made plants grow and not God? No, it was directly related to his job. 
When he published his seed catalog at the turn of the century, it displayed new varieties of plants he developed by crossbreeding. Yeah. Churches charged him with blasphemy and interfering with nature for bringing forth new creations. Oh. This was a power that churches considered to be God's alone. Oh, really? Isn't that interesting? Wow. I mean, that's nothing. I guess it was akin to what people feel sometimes about genetic engineering today. Yeah, yeah, you're messing with the... uh, Messing with God. Wow. Well, Curious. God messes with us. Uh, and here's, a, here's a, a question I have along those lines. How have hurricanes benefited the vegetation of Florida? Hurricanes. Benefited? They benefited the vegetation or affected the vegetation of Florida. Well, I would think that that would spread seeds everywhere when you're blowing around. And plants. Yeah. You're exactly right. Over the years, hurricanes have picked up tropical plants, including tree branches from Cuba and other islands, and have deposited them alive on Florida soil, which accounts for West Indian mahogany, gumbo limbo, poison wood, and cocoa plum growing at random throughout Florida and the entire southeastern United States. Oh, Remember we had, that, we had that story about birds being blown all the way yeah. up to Nova Scotia. Doesn't it make you wonder when you go in our backyard and you try to plant something, you know, specifically and it, you know, it doesn't grow and it needs more water and it's so hard. And over here, sometimes it just blows into a... Well, actually, Area it makes me think that, you know, all those, all those big branches that fall down during a storm, God wants them there. Maybe I should leave them there. Is Oh, nice try, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, let's take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. Okay, we're back with The Off-Ramp, Bob and Marsha Smith. You've heard the phrase... Not worth your salt. Any idea where that came from? Well, salt was considered a very, very valuable and rare commodity in the ancient world. So if you were worth your salt, you were a very valuable person. Oh, that's true. Okay, thank you. Next question. <laughs> I've got some other questions. Wait a questions. minute. Huh? There's a no? little more All right. there. What is but, there? But what? yeah, you're absolutely... I thought you said I was right. Well, yeah. In a manner of speaking, it historically has played a pivotal role in religion and economics, purifying sacred rituals and guiding the rise and fall of empires. Mm -hmm. At one point, it was traded for gold. Wow. So, for example, slaves in Greece, everybody had slaves, were sometimes purchased with salt. And that's where the salt phrase came from. Not worth his salt. If the slave didn't turn out, he wasn't worth the salt you paid for him. Holy cow. So that's very specific. But here's a little side note. That goes back a long way then as an expression. Greeks and slaves and salt. But since it was so valuable, it was often given to Roman soldiers as money. They paid them. And that's where the word salary comes from. Oh, that's right. Salarium argentum. In Latin. Okay, gotcha. And that means salt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and the salt in our kitchens today is the same treasure fought over for thousands of years. And we fight over it every night. <laughs> oh, no, we don't. No. no. <laughs> it's not good for you in quantities. Well, here's something that's only been produced for the last mm, 45 years or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's something Volkswagen makes. Now, they've been producing automobiles for 90 years. What is Volkswagen's all time bestseller? It's not something you can drive. I'll give you a hint. It's part number 199-398-500A. <laughs> well, thanks. There you that, go. That, you should that be able to. That it down. <laughs> I think that's the lug nut on the driver's side of the wheel. <laughs> that sounds like it, doesn't it? No. What does Volkswagen sell more of than anything else? Sausage. <laughs> Volkswagen Kerrywurst Sausages. They make 7 million a year. 
For who? Primarily for their employees, but ah. they are so rare, and they've won so many awards in German cuisine contests that they provide them to their dealers. They sell them in Germany oh. in grocery stores and at football stadiums. So it's their select brand. The Currywurst, Currywurst sausages produced at the Volkswagen factory located near the company headquarters in Wolfsburg since 1973 were intended originally as breakfast and lunch items in the company cafeteria. I'd love to taste one. Well, uh, the part number again is 199-398-500A. <laughs> uh, I bet so. it can't beat a Usinger, but that's just me. Now, they can't sell them in the United States. People want them, but they said that there's no way they could safely send them to the United States. And yeah. you, know, you have to have uh, Food and Drug Administration approval and everything else. But that is their biggest seller. They make 20000 a day, 7 million sausages a year, made by Volkswagen, the VW brand Sausage. <laughs> Not the VW bug. I've been enlightened. Thank you for that, Bob. Okay, there was a great Greek tragedy writer. Okay. His name was Sakalis. Okay. And he had a rather unfortunate demise. <laughs> you know, Did he have a first name like Charlie Sakalis or something <laughs> like that? You want to guess how the poor dude died? In ancient Greece. Yes. In 456 B.C. Okay, we're going back a few years with today's questions. He died when a tortoise... (laughs) What? When a tortoise was dropped on his head by an eagle flying over him at a great height. Back in the day, eagles were quite smart, and they wanted to break their tortoise shell by dropping it on rocks. Oh, okay. And this guy uh, was unfortunately bald, and it thought it was a rock, and he dropped the tortoise on his head and killed him. So he was standing in the yes, way. He was yes. kind of in the way of things. He was. And uh, now, if that's not a great little playwright story, but, you But know, he wasn't around to write it He afterwards. wasn't, so somebody else had to write that one. <laughs> Jesus. That's, that's, and I, the fact that that was actually recorded is fascinating, yes, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure his fellow playwrights had a ball with that. Okay, I've got a money question. Okay. 1935, middle of the Great Depression, William Randolph Hearst is the richest person in America. Uh-huh. Who was the second highest paid person in America in the middle of the Great Depression, 1935? Hint, it was a woman. Mrs. Rockefeller. No, it's not Mrs. William Randolph Hearst or Mrs. A... Rockefeller, no. Okay. Uh... Mae West. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. All right. Yeah. She, she worked for it. She became the second highest paid person in the country. We think of her as kind of a campy actress, but she wrote her own plays. Really? She wrote her own screenplays. All right, see. She did her own promotion. In 1927, she wrote a play called Sex, and she was charged with obscenity. Uh-huh. She was sentenced to 10 days in prison. She could have paid a fine and been released, but she knew the value of publicity. She demanded to be jailed oh. instead for 10 days. Yeah, she was quite ahead of her time. And being our own woman, making her own money, and not relying on the guys that would come up and see her sometimes. See, now, you just said one of her famous <laughs> quotes. I didn't hear any of these before, okay? okay? You only live once, but if you do it right, what? once is enough. Yeah, that I, I've heard that. I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. <laughs> it's not the men in your life that matter. It's the life in your man. Okay? <laughs> and of course, is that a pistol in your pocket yeah, or are you oh, just, just happy, happy to, to see, see me? me? Okay. Now, she actually said this first at a railway station in Los Angeles to a Los Angeles police officer who was assigned to take her home. She was being escorted home from being in Chicago. Uh-huh. Hey, officer. <laughs> is that a pistol in your pocket? <laughs> and then she used it later in the movie She Done Him Wrong. Yeah. And who was the actor she said that to? Clark Gable? No, a very young. Cary Grant. Oh, really? Yeah. I like it. She died a millionaire. Well, I would think so. Yeah. Wow. 
you know, she was never really popular when sound pictures really took off. She oh. was in some of the first sound uh-huh. pictures and with W.C. Fields and stuff. But those are kind of crinkly old films, you know. Uh-huh. I, we, don't, we don't really get how different she was than everybody else at the time. Okay. Well, I'm going over to Panama now, Bob. Due to the bend in the isthmus. isthmus. The isthmus. Yeah, that is isthmus. never easy to say, is it? The isthmus. isthmus. Well, if you don't look at it. The I... isthmus of Panama. Yeah. That is the only place in the world where what happens? That's the only place in the world where what happens? Yeah. Where is, it one a, pi- is it a word that starts with S? No, no, that's not it. <laughs> it's the only place where one can see the sun rise from the Pacific Ocean and later see it set over the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's a very thin strip of yeah. land. Yeah. You would think there'd be other places, other islands, but it's different ocean on each side. Well, since you mentioned the Isthmus of Panama, you know, the Panama (laughs) Canal is there. So which way does it flow? The Panama? Yeah, the Panama Canal. What do you mean, like direction? Well, it cuts through the Isthmus of Panama. Yeah. If you're on a ship and you're going... East and west. Yeah. It runs east and west. No, ships travel the opposite of what you probably think. Ships traveling from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean travel in a northwest direction, while ships traveling from the Atlantic to the Pacific go in a southeast direction. That's just the nature of the cut that was made due to the natural features of the geography. Well, I wouldn't have guessed that. Of course not. Well, they've enlightened. I mean, most people wouldn't guess it. <laughs> of course you wouldn't. Okay, now let's go on. Many people have Fitbits and Apple Watches and other devices to help us monitor our health, no one believes cats would have the patience to wear one of those, right? <laughs> okay. No? So there is a way now you can apply technology to a litter box to monitor your cat's health. It's called We Care Smart Health Monitor, made by CatLink, of course. Mm-hmm. It does It's a scale and activity sensor that your litter box sits on. And it actually tracks changes in weight and frequency of visits in the litter box, which helps spot health problems. How, you ask? When that cat oh. gets in there, it yeah. weighs them, so a sudden weight or gain or loss can diagnose heart disease or diabetes. Okay. It can also measure how frequently the cat uses its litter box. Too often could mean a urinary tract infection. Yeah. Uh, staying in the box too long might be a symptom of bladder stones. And all that data is compiled and it's alerted to you so you know if there's any unusual behavior. And then for multi-cat households, it can actually differentiate cats by weight. (sighs) It's a little much. The We Care Smart Health Monitor for (laughs) your cat. Well, Bowser went 21 years without technology. (laughs) Do you think we would have wanted technology on Bowser? We did fine without technology. He lived an incredibly long life. He did. And he was an indoor-outdoor cat and had 13 moves with me. Didn't need any kind of data on him. No. He was either alive or dead. And we knew it by... (laughs) (laughs) He was a loud boy. Oh, gosh. All right. All right. Next question, Marcia. What is the world's largest lake? The largest lake in the world is Lake Superior. Wrong. Is it Lake Titicaca? Titicaca. Well, there's a lake called that down in... Yeah. No? No. All right, what is it? The world's largest lake is the misnamed Caspian Sea. Oh, that's actually a lake. Yeah, it's a lake. It lies between Asia and Europe, and it covers the area the size of Montani. (laughs) Montani. Oh, yes. I remember we visited there. Didn't we take a cruise to Montani? watching too much of a uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone series I'm watching. Montana. 
Okay. The Caspian Sea is four and one-half times the size of Lake Superior, the second largest lake in the world. Wow. Four and a half times as big as yeah. Lake Superior. Yeah. So I, I guess Lake Superior, too, and we were both wrong, Bob. That's sad. <laughs> it is. But not a surprise. Okay. Let me ask you this question. What U.S. president wrote his own epitaph, specified the size and material for his gravestone, and chose the exact location for his grave? Little, a little uh, anal retentive there, don't you think? If you know anything about this guy, you'll say, of course he did. Thomas Jefferson. Oh, did he really? (laughs) Oh, jeez. Well, this is interesting on a couple levels. Six months ago, this would have been more funny because I think they actually might be doing this now. But in 1968, Herschel Thornton opened the world's first drive-in what? Not drive-in movie. No. Not drive-in restaurant because those have been around for years. Drive-in what? Not drive-in mortuary. Yes. Oh, my God, really? In Atlanta, Georgia, the deceased was displayed behind a glass wall and motorists drove by paying last respects without leaving the car. That would be done today during COVID. You're yeah, right. It could be done. But this was in 1968. 19- wow. Yeah. I didn't know people were that busy back yeah, then. I guess, well, the flower children had places to go and things to do. What did they do with all the time they <laughs> saved going to a funeral like that? Well, Let's gonna, just drive through and yeah. you know, see Harry and we're gone. Okay. Who invented the abacus, Bob? The abacus. That was invented by the Indians, wasn't it? Ancient India? Or no, ancient China. Well, that's what everybody says. Well, thank you. And they're wrong. Oh. It was in use in Egypt 4,000 years ago, almost 1,000 years before it reached China. So China did uh, use it. So they must have gotten it from the Egyptians, apparently. Yeah, I had no idea. All right, and I've got an interesting one here, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. What percentage of a plant's nutrition comes from the soil? What percent of a plant's nutrition comes from the soil? Well, I, I bet it's mostly from the sun, so I'll say I'll say 25% from the soil. Most people would think, well, it gets all of its nutrients from the soil, right? No, Most of it, no. no. Photosynthesis. We think of plants getting their water, their mineral nutrition from the soil through their roots, but a plant gets only 10% of its nutrition from the soil. 90% of a plant or a tree's nutrition comes from the atmosphere. That shows you how important sunshine and fresh air is. Well, you've seen trees growing out of concrete bridges or something, you know. That explains uh, it, doesn't it? Nature finds a way. Nature finds a way. Thought I'd wrap up, Bob, with a a couple of Can You Believe It's from the Reader's Digest. Okay. Can you believe Sweden's famous ice hotel has a smoke detector? (laughs) No. (laughs) The founder of Alcoholics Anonymous asked for a whiskey on his deathbed. Oh, no kidding. The nurse refused. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Yes. And the father of traffic safety, William Eno, invented the stop sign, speed limit, traffic circle, and the one-way street. And he never learned to drive. (laughs) No. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. Those are great stories. (laughs) Great, great factoids. Thank you, Marcia. You're welcome, Bob. And we thank you for listening to this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.